Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the Edup Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Joe Salustio here, recording live from the World Innovation Summit for Education in Doha, Qatar. What an honor to be here. I am interviewing some amazing people. And I say amazing, I mean amazing. I mean amazing. I know, I just said it. Amazing. And uh, I have another amazing person in front of me right now. Um, she is actually truly amazing in the work that she is doing, which we're going to find out more about here in a second. But here she comes right now. She's running over. She's literally running down the hall to try to get here in time as I hit this button. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Mary Joy Pigozzi, she's Executive Director at Educated Child, which is a program of the Education Above All Foundation. Mary, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good. Thanks for running so quickly to get here in time, right as the applause happened. I was, I was like, is she going to make it? Is she? And then you just made it right in time. Luckily, just in time. <laughs> just in time. So let's talk. What, what is Educated Child? So Educate a Child is a program that started in 2012. It's uh, part of the vision of Her Highness Sheikh Hamza bin Nasser. And her concern was and remains the millions of children who are out of school. And she committed to 10 million out-of-school children finding a quality education. And my job was to lead a team and work with others to make that happen. Okay, so how do you do that? Well, what, what does that look like? Talk about the operations, the scope, how you bring it all to reality. Well, first of all, when you get the number 10 million, you just take a really deep breath. Yeah. Because it is a humongous number. Yikes! Really, no kidding. And what we had to do was to just sit down and say, all right, how can we do this? We knew we had to work at scale because... What we know from what happened in the past in education was there were lots and lots of small projects doing really good work with small groups of children, but it wasn't going to make 10 million. So we decided to work at scale, and we decided to work differently, and we knew we had to work with partners. So we have an unusual model in that we don't, although we work in over 50 countries, we actually don't have a single person of, of our staff working overseas. Wow. We have very, very low overhead costs, and none of those are in the costs that people who contribute to the pr program would see would have, or ever pay for. So basically what we did was we found partners around the world who have been working with out-of-school children at the primary level, and we asked them to tell us what the problem was, what solution they had, and to demonstrate to us that their solution could work at scale. Mm. And that's... That's not so easy. Well, know. it's unusual in several ways uh, in that most people who fund something tell say to the people, you need to do this and we'll fund you. We'll fund teacher training or we'll fund buildings or we'll fund something else. We didn't do that. We said, tell us what the obstacle is. Tell us how you know to overcome it. And we'll think about partnering with you. So we've partnered with a variety of partners. Um, we reached the 10 million. We're really happy to say that. We're still going with that program. But what it's ended up with is some really interesting approaches. For example, 
Um, we have accelerated education programs, particularly for kids who have been in conflict. Maybe they have become refugees, they've been out of school for two or three years, they're older than any schoolmates. So what the partners do is they have an accelerated program to allow them to catch up. One of the biggest problems that children face and their families face is poverty. They just mm -hmm. don't have enough money. So in one project, we had a savings and loan program where there was a savings and loan project put together and that enabled them to pay school fees. Uh, How do you zero in on geography? When you're talking about scale, scale means so many things. Oh, right? It means worldwide. It could mean within question. country. It, and you look at, okay, 10 million. 10 million where? 10 million how? 10 million when? when? Great question. So um, what do we mean by scale? Okay, or or how first, do you zero no, in on the, geography? The first the first scale, we this relates to the geography question. Yeah. The first scale we worried about was you had to suggest and be willing to enroll 10,000 10, kids every year. Okay. So no small potatoes, right. 200 kids or anything like that. We did not and do not have much of a geographic requirement. Uh, obviously, we don't, we fund in poor countries we would not fund, say, in the United States sure. or the UK. Um, but other than that, we've funded everywhere from Pakistan to Brazil to Haiti to Democratic Republic of Congo to South Africa to Kenya, all over. That's interesting. Syria. So, it, well, yeah, and, and is it, how much of it is proactive? meaning your team says, hey, we've tracked this, uh, you know, so much is going on in, you know, at, I don't know, Syria, versus there's, there uh, is an organization coming to you. How much is proactive? How much is reactive? It is initially mostly reactive. Okay. We, again, we believe in the experience and the expertise and the knowledge of people on the ground. We are committed to that. So they come to us. We have a pretty strict format that they need to come in. It works on the web. They, they come in with a pretty strict format. If they meet our criteria, then we engage with them and would ask them for a proposal. Once we get a proposal, then the team engages with them fairly rigorously uh, because one of the things we do is we have a very, very strict monitoring uh, framework. We we have a mantra, and that is that if a child is not counted, that child does not count. Mm. So we require our partners to identify individual children, count them, and track them. Wow. 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 That's, that sounds like it would be easy, but it's probably not. Because it's governments maybe, maybe aren't set up to census uh, and count the kids and keep track of them as they progress and it's very easy to lose track it's it's got to be easier to lose track than it is to count right you'd think i mean just you just turn your head for a second all of a sudden we I mean, think about the pandemic how many kids we lost track of i mean that's obviously added a new dimension to your work has it not how the pandemic is is it's education needed to happen in poor countries anyway 
accessibility was not there. And then you add a pandemic and what has that done to the gap, the educational gaps that exist? Can you talk about that a little bit? So before I come to the pandemic question, I just want to clarify one thing. We actually don't fund governments. Mm -hmm. We fund uh, multilateral organizations and non-government organizations, either international ones or national ones. So basically, our funding goes to implementing partners on the I ground. See. It does not go into government systems. Um, your question about COVID is really an interesting one. And it, when COVID hit, um, we had some quick soul searching to do. And I mean quick, like within a week. Um, yeah. We knew that with the with the shutdowns and, and all of those kinds of things and school closings, that there were going to be millions and millions and millions of children out of school. We made the decision that we would continue our focus on those who were out of school before COVID. Okay, how do you do that? That's Well, we, we already knew where they were. They're, okay. they're the 59 million that were out of school when everybody else pre-COVID was in school. Now, what we do know is that that number is going to go up a little bit, unfortunately, because of COVID, the economic situation of some families has become so dire that there are going to be more children left out of school. In other words, most of the kids are going to go back. They may have learning loss. They, they may have other challenges. But in the end, they're going to go back to school. They'll learn eventually. Yep. They'll eventually be there. There's still that 59 million kids plus the bottom of the barrel from the COVID that have never been to school or dropped out of school or had to flee their country. Those kids are still there. So we've actually kept our focus on those kids, knowing that the rest of the world is actually worried about the COVID kids. The kids we worry about are invisible. How do, you, how do you define success? You get the kids into the educational pipeline. Do, they, do you track whether they stick? Are you, because I can imagine, for, especially for kids that weren't in the educational system, getting in and then staying in with everything that's going on around them, especially in, in, in poverty. I, I mean, you think about you know, hunger, what, what role that plays on education and kids staying in. We saw it during COVID in the U.S. for people who were probably eating, you know, who, who didn't have hunger problems. And all of a sudden, families lost jobs. Now hunger is a real thing. And you have adult students who are leaving school. And surely then kids, their kids are leaving the educational pipeline. Now then take that model of loss and put it into a country that is poor and you have a real serious problem. What does that look like in terms of retention? And at what point do you go, that was success for us, and we can move on to a new set of students. So, I don't want to be too technical, yeah. but um, we actually require our partners not only to count the kids that they enroll, but to track them. So, they have to track them. So, we know what our retention rates are. That's great. And um, right now, they're over 80%, which is really unusual in the countries we work in, and particularly for the... Uh, the kids we work with, I think that is a real, um, that really attests to the strength of the partners and the commitment of the partners that we work with, that they are willing to do that. So, I mean, I think that that's the piece on just sort of the measurement of retention. It's, it's part of the counting. Right. 
because yeah, you can enroll a kid and they can drop out. Now, not every program can do that because if you have a one-year catch-up program and then they go into school, you're not going to do a retention there. You just have kind of a success. So how do we how do we view success? We view success by the identification of the kids, the enrollment of the kids, and their retention. But I think equally, it's the idea that, and you, you brought this up with regard to food, the idea that quality education is not just reading, writing, and arithmetic. Quality education is a whole lot more. And if a child is hungry, she can't learn. Right. If a child gets sick, he maybe doesn't, you know, he doesn't attend every day. He loses out. So it, it's really important in every environment that kids be taken care of holistically. This doesn't mean that education has to do everything because education budgets don't have it. But in many of our projects, we have a school feeding program or nutrition program. We have lots and lots of work on uh, water and sanitation. So knowing that these are the kinds of things that kids really need, and it's actually part of a good education. Learn how to take care of yourself. Learn how to take care of your family. Uh, learn how to make good decisions about what to eat, where to go, right. how to spend your time. So all of those things, I think, are really important, but it's not easy and different cultures have different ways of doing it and different values. And one of the things we've tried to do is not judge those things in terms of why would you do it, but just ask the question, show us how that works, show us how that works, show us how that works. So it may be something totally different that we wouldn't think of, like a boat school. <laughs> Who thought we'd be building boats? Yeah. Um, but then, okay, this is how it works. These people live in this kind of environment, and the boat is not just a school. It's a transportation system, too. It's the bus right. that goes from island to island, picks up the kids, teaches them, and then takes them back. Right. So it's a double whammy. Now, I, I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. So I think, you know, sort of we've tried to be pretty open to kind of the, the cultural approaches to how to solve a problem. That's pretty, that's brilliant, right? Because then that boat school becomes an economic engine because if you can't get the kids to learn, then you don't have the adults to work and so on and so forth. That's that's actually pretty fascinating. So you have partners all over the world. You probably have a lot of potential partners, maybe, maybe people that want to work with you that you've said, mm, maybe it's not right. Maybe the impact is in there. So when do you say... Access granted. And when do you say? Access denied. So we have um, criteria that are on the web. I've told you about one of them. It's 10,000 kids. We have definitions of what do we mean by an out-of-school child. So, you know, they have to fit those definitions. Um, we have a requirement. Oh, this is a big whammy. We do not see ourselves as a donor. We see ourselves as a partner. Mm. And we require our partners to put in at least 50% of the project cost. Okay. So, so they've got to put the money where the mouth is, so to speak. Money where the mouth is, we're in it together. Mm -hmm. Our success is their success. Their success is our success. This also has a possibility or 
we see this as being important for sustainability. Because if you're just a donor, the project is dependent on you and you alone. If you bring in other partners and you bring in other funding partners, then it's not so risky right. for, the, for the project and for the kids. So, and that's another area where we've really experimented in, is with, in addition to the co-funding requirement, we've really begun to work with different funding models and bringing in different kinds of funding partners. It's actually pretty brilliant, right? Because if you have them fund it 50% and it works and, and they want to continue a program, it's a lot easier to then fund it at a 50% rate than your donor exhausts funds and now you're left with 100% of the bill, so to speak. And you just go, never mind, we're not going to do that anymore. You got it. You, right. you got it perfectly. And what's really interesting is that when you begin to do that, then people, instead of seeing projects separately, the partners on the ground say, oh, but this links to this and we've got this money here and how can we make it make sense? So then you can bring in the school nutrition. Then you can right. bring the immunization, all those things that you need. Or maybe it's you know community labor to build the school. So it actually makes it more sustainable. Sometimes it can help create jobs then and there, not just the jobs that are going to come out of the kids eventually getting an education. So yeah, I think that's, um, that's one of the parts of the model that, frankly, when I started with EAC, and I was the first director, um, when we decided to do this, I was skeptical it would work. And I have to say, I'm glad I'm wrong. Uh, we've actually paid less than 50%. Wow. Congratulations. Good for you. Well, congratulations to the partners. Yeah. They're the ones that did it. They brought yeah. in the other money. That's like you, sometimes all you need is a is just a leap of faith for somebody to back you and, yeah. and you can just dive in and make something work. It's pretty incredible. So what haven't I, I mean, I'm sure there's a million things, but what would you want to say or what didn't I ask you about Educated Child? Something that you would want to say about the program in general, maybe something that's upcoming, some statistic that we need to know, anything that's important to you? Well, we're here at WISE to, um, to talk about something really important to us, and it's a, a growth in, on, our, on our part. We are going to continue to do the work we've been doing, and we target about a million children a year that way. Wow. Um, we probably have already met next year's target, which is really good news. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to continue with that. Nothing's going to change there. We have, we last wise, we announced a new, an additional strategy, which is to identify a few countries that are close to universal primary education, meaning they have very few out of school children, but those kids have been that problem has been there probably for a decade or more. Right. They just haven't got everybody in school. So we, we had done quite a bit of research on that in, in earlier years in preparation for this. And what we are doing now at WISE tomorrow is actually having four countries who have committed to get to zero out-of-school children. Wow. And so tomorrow these four countries are standing up in, in the plenary to say... We're with a EAC and EAA, and we're going to get to zero. So you can't tell us who they are right now, can you? Sure, I can. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> if I can. So it's Djibouti, uh, Rwanda, the Gambia, and Zanzibar. Wow. 
Global impact. That's incredible. So that's very different. It's, again, it's scale, but it's scale in a very different way. Yeah. So these countries actually have small numbers of children. Unlike the, the 10,000 right. per year that we require in the other program, in this program, it's small numbers of children but the very hardest to reach what we like to talk about them as being the high hanging fruit right the most difficult to find the most hidden kids the kids with special needs the kids that live miles and miles from the nearest school um, the children that have to work from age four the little boys that are down in mines yeah the kids we never see and no the news never talks about them those are the ones we're trying to get to wow so that's it that's how you go to sleep at night and know that you're making an incredible difference. I, I don't I, go to sleep at night. Yeah, I have you, too much to do. I was going to say, how do you sleep with 10 million? You know, to, let's raise the goal of 50 million or 100 million. Yeah, you're going to get there. You'll be fine. Um, well, this has been incredible. I thank you for stopping by thank on you. the Edip Experience podcast. Her name, here she is again. She's had a lot of applause today, ladies and gentlemen. Talk to her, Mary Joy. Pigozzi. See, I want to give you the Italian Pigozzi. That's you know. fine. Yeah, I like that. Um, thank you for coming on. I wish you all the best of luck. Um, our audience back in the States and across the world will hear more about Educated Ch Child. What's the website? www.educatedchild.org.qa. Check it out, everybody. This has been another episode of the Ed of Experience here at WISE 2021.